Cannabis, Bigfoot, UFOs, mindfulness. We'll talk about all that and more on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? Start the clock. And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. You are looking at one burnt out dude. Burnt out. I've just been burning the candle at both ends for over a year now, and it's kind of catching up with me. So uh, I apologize for the low energy today. Uh, We're going to be talking today uh, to a guy who's a documentary uh, maker about some different kind of things, cannabis and cancer, uh, cannabis and your doctor, and uh, Bigfoot and aliens, and, and things that go uh, off the the, uh, the beaten path a little bit. Uh, so we'll talk to him today. Uh, before I bring him in, and he's not here yet, by the way, uh, but I do believe he's, he's trying to make the arrangements. We had some time zone uh, confusion. Uh, before I get to him, I need to quickly uh, talk about my sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by FunWise Capital. Uh, FunWise Capital, as you know, is a business lender matching platform that gets you the best credit lines guaranteed. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit score to see uh, how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. I did say start. If you don't have a business yet, uh, but you got a solid business plan and well-documented uh, business plan that can help you get funding, get the best funding you can qualify for. The strategic men- lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate startups, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog, apply.funwise.com slash minddog. We do appreciate you patronizing the sponsors. Also, I'll let you know about the Patreon page uh, where you can get all the episodes, all the audio episodes without any advertising whatsoever uh, for just $1 a month, the rock bottom, the puppy dog level of the Patreon page. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about uh, some some different kind of documentaries today. Jeremy Nori is a director and producer of Amazon Prime documentaries such as Cannabis versus Cancer, Cannabis and Your Doctor, and Don't Call Me Bigfoot, as well as about to be released, I Want to Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, up your ears, open up your minds, and help me welcome in Jeremy Nori to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Jeremy, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. Now, I have to, I have to tell you right up front, I uh, haven't been able to do a whole lot of research on you. For a guy who is public and, and making documentaries about some things that might ruffle some feathers, uh, information on you is hard to find. Congratulations if, you, if it's by intent, and I'm uh, just wondering if it is by intent. Is it? Well, you know. Uh, I, I originally was in the cannabis industry, so back then it was a little bit more of an advantage to kind of fly under the radar. Now I'm trying to be a little bit more out there, but um, I am fairly new to filmmaking, so 
there's some podcasts. There's not a ton of stuff out there about me yet. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to get a good grasp about uh, where where is your main focus these days? Because I know you had two about uh, cannabis and and the uh, the medical uh, I guess the medical benefits of cannabis. Uh, but then Bigfoot is like a hard right turn uh, <laughs> from, from there. And uh, I want to believe I uh, sounds to me like it's about alien stuff and yep. UFOs. Yes. Yes, yes. So, so yeah. yeah. How do you it, make that right turn? <laughs> this is a common question. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, I was originally in the cannabis industry, and I had a very non-conventional uh, introduction into filmmaking. I, I was making a film about a concert, um, ca- competition, traveling event that I was doing in, in the cannabis industry, and I just had a crash course learning experience doing that first film uh, on how to make films. And then basically the end of that process, after many hurdles and many uh, obstacles, was me meeting the people that I work with now. And they are uh, professional filmmakers. My my main partner has been doing it for 25 years. He worked for Fox Television. Like he's totally traditional experience and and, uh, the whole thing. And he was transitioning from making horror movies into making documentaries. And so when we connected at first, it was just about the possibility about making cannabis documentaries. But uh, as we did those and it went well, and we kind of clicked real well as, as uh, working together, he started telling me about other subjects that do well in documentary films and a whole bunch of those subjects were things that i'm way into really so yeah so that's basically we did the cannabis ones they were doing all right but he's like hey you know these are the ones that make the most money and so immediately he wanted to try and do some other strange phenomenon stuff and i'm like so way into it I was more than happy. I jumped at the chance to make a Bigfoot movie. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate getting to know you then because I'm into all three of those subjects and more. And, and I, I, I've started a radio program 35 years ago just dedicated to paranormal stuff and looking into it. So I've always been interested in that. I think I started smoking uh, cannabis, uh, I would say, 50 years ago. <laughs> 50 years right. ago yeah right. half a century ago uh so i'm a big fan of that now i had tommy chung on the other night i want to start with the cannabis stuff and then we'll get yeah, to yeah. uh had tommy chung on the other night and he credits his being alive today beating cancer to cbd use and I, of course he's uh been a, a thc user his whole life uh mm-hmm. i'm i'm curious on how we make that determination uh, of that okay. that cannabis is really the the uh, stimulus for for beating cancer because people always engage in traditional medical treatments uh, in conjunction with the cannabis use. So. Absolutely. So that that very subject right there is uh, part of why we can't really be definitive just yet. Otherwise, you'd see right away. The questions yeah. that in my mind, like Bob Bob Marley died of brain cancer, but he was reportedly smoked like a half an ounce a day. <laughs> sure, sure. It's yeah. like so. How if, if cannabis cures cancer? How did Bob Marley die of cancer? Okay. So so that in particular is how are we um, 
applying this the, the treatment to the problem, right? So gotcha. most people, and this is part of what I addressed in the film, when we watch these shows and we hear these news reports and things like that, it's, it's always the same story. It's like, good news, cannabis can help you with this problem, cancer, fibromyalgia, tumors, you know, whatever it is. And then they never tell you how you're supposed to use cannabis in order to treat these problems, right? right? So people walk away thinking, oh, you smoke cannabis and that's how we're going to treat cancer. No. So <laughs> what we know is that pretty much around the, the, across the board, the way that we're, we're addressing these uh, problems is by consuming massive amounts of cannabis. And that's typically from eating it. Okay. So this is not the best way of getting the medicine to the areas where we need the healing. So what we see are some people have success, some people don't have success. We also don't know exactly what parts of the cannabis plant are treating certain illnesses, like Tommy Chong, for example, saying that CBD is what helped him. That's extremely unlikely. So what CBD does seem to do is it seems to help other things, also other medicines, get to where they need to go and work more efficiently. So that's pretty likely. Some cancers do respond more to a, a higher CBD in addition to THC uh, type of medicine. And then some cancers are the exact opposite where they seem to respond better to high THC, very low CBD. And the only thing we really know definitively right now about how cannabis might work against cancer is from a study and you'd have to google it but uh there was a study done where they were showing that in petri dish situations cannabis was causing the cancer cells to eat themselves and there's a scientific term for that but uh munchies yeah <laughs> we want to be able to take this like cannabis medicine and apply it to whatever illness it is and then have the desired effect. And we don't know how to do that yet. But this is still in the learning process. So what people that are using cannabis as medicine are doing is for the most part, they're just consuming as many of the chem chemicals as they can, like a full spectrum, a very wide blend, of maybe even various different plants, not just the same kind of strain, like a whole bunch. And they're just eating it and trying to get to these massive doses where they're hoping that their body will distribute this out to the places that it needs it. That that happens to be probably, and not probably, the best answer I've gotten to that question in asking it for 20 years. And it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I appreciate the thoughtful response. Now, yeah, just, no just, just to clear up what Tommy was saying, I think he agrees with you. He was saying that what CBD does, it allows healing to take place. It's not like it, it is the, the healing um, necessarily the enzyme that's causing the healing, but it allows you to relax and, and take the anxiety off and let healing energies flow. Is he, I think he said it, it, it calms the mind, man, is what he said. Uh, uh, so, but, I've heard uh, it described almost like a grease where like, oh, it's that little bit of, of oil or, or lubricant that you apply to something to make it 
function the way that it's supposed to. Right. I know for, I am absolutely convinced beyond a, uh, a shadow of a doubt that it is absolutely effective in dealing with epilepsy, fits, and Parkinson's because I've seen it. Uh, but again, it's not smoking a joint. It's putting like a drop of yeah. THC or, or whatever they're putting it. Uh, I think uh, what there's like a, a name for call it. call it tincture usually. Yeah. But it's no, the, tincture. There's uh, a combination of CBD and THC, and they call it, there's like some silly name they made up for it, but whatever it is, yeah, they use the tincture and put it under the tongue, mm-hmm. uh, and you can see the the fits stop the uh, you know epile- in epilepsy the fits stop and the shaking definitely stops in Parkinson, so sure, it, sure. it absolutely is a valid medicine. I think probably what we, we saw was because of all the confusion, as you said, people just not knowing how to use it. There has been no real study on this because. Because of like the proper uses for the for each individual disease or symptom that that we're trying to treat the it with. The studies right? are very limited, and and part of the reason for that is that cannabis is still a Schedule One drug. So to our government, cannabis has no medicinal value. And I think anybody, even people that are against cannabis, would at least admit that it causes the munchies. So <laughs> you know that is a medical value causing an appetite. A lot of people that think cannabis is only good for helping you uh, start having an appetite when you're on cancer. It's not necessarily like a chemical that's a cure, right. but it's therapy that could help you deal with your other medica- medications. Definitely helps with chemo. I, that's that's and yeah, the nausea and all the stuff that goes with it. So without a doubt, it is definitely has medical benefit. So yep. uh, in making documentaries about this, now was that an easy thing to do? Because I'm thinking, uh, in, in where it's not legal, well, sure. maybe you're you're doing you're in California, right? Where it well, is? Yeah, legal. we are in California. In in that sense, it was easy to do. But our our first film was flagged for dangerous medical advice right away. Wow. Yeah. So, so you couldn't get it distributed properly because it, of that. It it took me kind of uh, talking to the. We had a disclaimer, so that's basically the the thing that they require is that you, you, you're, you're um, conscious enough to, to notify the, the viewing public that, look, you're not going to just go out and use cannabis and cure your cancer. This is medical advice that is from non-medical professionals, that you should truly seek medical professionals for your medical advice. And so that kind of, you know, disclaimer uh, helps for films that are, you know, touting questionable uh, medical advice. And the way that we presented it was very fair. You know, we presented what our patients that, that were featured in the film thought had happened, their experience. But we also asked them, what did the medical doctors say? Why did they think that these things happened? So you have both, um, you know, alternative things there to, to choose what you believe was the result there what actually happened and right. and i will also say everyone knows about the placebo effect that's a real thing so some people might not be getting direct interaction from the cannabis it's simply a placebo effect that they were able to take something that gave them the confidence in their mind that they were doing something to help this thing and through the power of the mind they had authentic healing yeah. it wasn't like a delusion right yeah you know, that can be a result. So, you know, 
Absolutely. The mind can do miraculous things uh, that we still don't have any real true understanding about. It's, it's, you know, as much as we know about the physical body, the workings of what we call the mind, not the brain specifically, but the mind, the consciousness and all that stuff. And, and I, you know, when I ask people to define consciousness, it's always it's always a game because they, they try to put some kind of spin on it that they've heard before or recite some but nobody has a real understanding of what consciousness is and that, yeah. that that's the real uh, part of the problem now just on the, uh and we'll move on from the cannabis stuff but here in new york where i am we have medical marijuana now and i have a medical marijuana card but they're about to make uh legalize it for recreational use mm-hmm. so this might be a moot point but i know for a fact that when you go for the medical marijuana cards the doctors are not really interested in prescribing what's going to make your thing better they'll just give you the card and you go to the store and pick out whatever the hell you want like i can get flour i can get tincture i can get uh edibles whatever it is doctor didn't tell me what to get and right. so and, and so and the people at the store or dispensary yeah. have no idea what my real condition is and what i'm trying to treat with it so uh it it seems like it's all about a money scam just a, these people who are uh, doctors or and uh, what do they call them? Clinical practitioners, or, uh, nurse practitioners, who can get, uh, prescribe the card and give you and qualify you for the card. Right. They're just taking a fee for it, and, and they don't really they don't so, really care about healing you. <laughs> I agree with you, but I also I respect um, for a doctor. So, like my doctor in particular here in California, there was a period of time where he lost his license for uh, prescribing cannabis. Uh, to children, basically. And oh. so there are risks yeah. when you are dealing with this stuff and you have a medical license and technically you cannot legally tell people that they should use cannabis as a well. doctor. You can't. And so you can say, well, this might help you or, you know, you should look into this, but they cannot prescribe it. You know, right? So- but they they could say uh, the tincture might be better for you, and here, you know, if you're going to do it, maybe the tincture at this much THC, this much key, key, CBD blend uh, is we- is the right one for you. So what we find is because there's this legal issue, there's also no requirement for them to have any sort of learning about this stuff. And uh- in a film, we have a doctor who has taken it upon herself to learn and then to teach other doctors and to try and bring this into the mainstream where like, let's be honest, like you said, if this is medical marijuana, why is it that you go to a dispensary to buy it? Why is it that you're not getting this from a doctor? Right. And the reason is that it's it's too complicated of a situation and they really wanted to just kind of get the, the money benefit of this and then be able to have a, a standing point where we're like, yeah, you as a cancer patient can use marijuana to help you, but we don't have that uh, definitive evidence to prove that it is of an effective medicine. So we're not going to take any sort of liability type of stance, um, you know, encouraging this. And, right. and across the board, doctors have just been unmotivated to learn this. You go, as, as, look, we've had medical marijuana here in California for over 20 years. You go to see a doctor, it's extremely unlikely that they know anything about cannabis. As a <laughs> so what what did we do? We, we legalized recreational before we even had the medical thing down. And that's what everywhere is doing. And you hit it on the head. The reason that they're doing that is because of money. And that's, for me, as a, an authentic 
person in this industry. I came from before there was any medical marijuana anywhere. And to watch this whole process for these poor people that authentically need this medicine and then to see like, oh, they're so against it when it was just medical marijuana. And then you see the profits in Colorado. And then all of a sudden you start seeing, well, uh, we're going to just recreationally legalize it in Colorado. And then they see even greater profits. And yeah. all the states just start saying, oh, we're all going to legalize it now. Yeah. Nobody cared when it was maybe this could help your cancer patient. Maybe this could help your kid with seizures. Nobody. Wow. That's a, that's a really uh, <laughs> sobering way to look at, at things. And I, I haven't had that perspective before, but I, I see where you're going with it. And it it definitely can make you angry to think of, think that way about yeah, it. If, if I start getting down there, I get upset. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, um, but And it is all about greed. But I said when COVID started and we were talking about like they were talking about the next great re uh, depression happening because of the lockdowns and, and all that stuff. So, well, legalizing recreational marijuana across the board would cure a lot of <laughs> the economy right now yeah. <laughs> and, and you're seeing that you're seeing some places start to, to say oh we're going to specifically use cannabis to fund this problem jump start the yeah jump start the economic uh, situation i think that's what the why it's going to pass in new york now and it just came out the couple of days ago that the legislature uh reached an agreement to uh legalize recreational marijuana you would think so you know new york would be one of the leading states as, as uh, oh yeah but it's not. Uh, so uh, moving on from uh, marijuana. But no, just last on that. Did you did you, did you come away from doing the documentaries? Two of them you did, right, on cannabis. One of yeah, yeah. Uh, did, did you third one? But it's just kind of like for the doctor. It's a thirty right. minute work. Did you come away with any kind of um, insight into what the future like when some of these things might be? Um, figured out like you know the whole medical sure, part sure. of it. Where, where, yeah. So as we're getting this recreational, that's opening the doors for um, the changing of the scheduling. So that's the big thing. Once they change cannabis from schedule one to schedule three is where we think kind of would be fair. Um, then that opens up the testing and then we can really start finding out definitive like time frames, maybe even as to when we can get some of this information at very least. I would love to see doctors being required to learn about the endocannabinoid system. And that currently is not a requirement for doctors and uh, is a hundred percent mainstream accepted science. So that that's one of the big things I'd like to see change. And I just love to hear the word cannabinoid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk Bigfoot uh, or uh, I don't, I don't even, you don't call it Bigfoot. What do we call it? So, so Bigfoot is actually a term that came from a hoax. Right. So there was like a construction situation. Well, maybe it was logging actually, I think is what it was. And uh, some, but some of the people involved with that played a, a joke on some of the other people and they left these big footprints. And the, the story was, Oh, look at these big footprints. And that just kind of took on and became the name. Right. But a lot of people way into it. Don't like that because it's associated with the hoax. So they gotcha. prefer Sasquatch. Right. Uh, well, even at that, um, and what is your belief on it? Do you, do you believe? Uh, well, yeah, I believe that it is possible that one of these things somewhere in the world turns out to be real, but and that they were real in the past, right? 
So uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's not great video evidence. There's not great like DNA evidence. There's all kinds of reasons why you could easily say these things don't exist. But just kind of with the way math works and the law of averages and how many people have seen these things and how similar some of the descriptions are in certain places and, and how they're all over the world. Um, the, the one big thing that, that opened this possibility up to me as, as more real was when I learned about how many new species of plants and animals are discovered every year. Right. I nice. thought, oh yeah, maybe we discover like a new animal, like, every few years or something like that no 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 there's thousands of things discovered every year yeah most so, of them are small though not eight foot tall absolutely the <laughs> but there are like there was an orangutan a new orangutan species not all that yeah. long ago there are fairly large animals and then right. in addition to that there are large like um places discovered so like huge caverns i remember seeing one there were they discovered these um, cave systems that were like as big as uh, buildings in New York, like huge, huge things that we never knew existed. So the possibility that somewhere out there, one of these things ends up being real, it's still a possibility to me. Yeah, uh, okay, and uh, I will go with you there, and I, I would uh, tend to agree with you. Now, you seem like a very logical and reasonable person, especially on the way you delivered the info on cannabis and from the, that answer you just gave me. I say this. I say human beings uh, tend to jump to conclusions. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, we conclude that all these sightings are this, uh, around the world or, or, or even within the same region are one one species we could be looking at uh like orangutans as you mentioned and gorillas were just discovered 110 120 years ago now they didn't you know the african uh mountain gorilla was a myth until 120 years ago so sure. it's possible that we you know people are just if somebody sees something and that oh well that's bigfoot sasquatch whatever you call it when it's entirely something different than the, the alaska i saw so there could be several of these we yeah. just don't we just don't know but uh with and so when it comes to hard evidence though and something that we can kind of uh, really examine DNA-wise and, and, and match it up, that stuff is really, really scarce. And, and we hear yeah. a lot of different conflicting arguments about why that is. Why do you think sure. that is? Sure. And even when we're doing the investigation, there is, there's, there's, um, it's hard to find out what the definitive answers were on some of these things. So you'll have like hair samples and, you know, somebody will say, oh, they, they got this hair sample from this place and then they tested it and it was from an unknown species. And that may be the case on maybe the first test or the second test or something. But then down the line, there's a test that says it was a bear. And a lot of times that evidence is just left out. And yeah. so I don't want to throw away evidence. When we're looking at this stuff, the, the important thing for me is to be factually correct, right? We don't want to just make an assumption, you know, it couldn't be this, it couldn't be this, therefore it's this. No, we need evidence, you know, like we do need like DNA evidence. We need essentially a body, some sort of fossils, like something, you know. So um, until that comes about, and, and people say that exists and that there's a cover up, but I haven't seen anything definitive personally that shows me that that's the case. 
for me, I just feel like there hasn't been anything uh, that impressive that has been put forth. We have some kind of anecdotal stuff um, where they're finding other fossils of other species that we all we thought could be a myth, like um, the hobbit, um, the hobbit species, like Homo floresiensis, I think is what yeah. that was, and then yeah. there was uh, Denisovians, and so that's like a not Neanderthal, but not a Homo erect something similar that was during that time, and I think that's probably where we might get some of this proof is through a fossil type of a discovery where one of these things we find something do, wow. you, do you think the um the crazies that get involved in this study uh make it harder to take to take the study seriously and so uh you know all science is doomed when 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 nut, nut cases start getting involved and coming up with like yeah. extreme uh, and so i think that that part of it no matter what whether we're talking about you know ufo research which i want mm -hmm. to talk to you about too but uh cryptozoology especially uh are you familiar with a guy named ron moorhead yes i've heard of him yeah, yeah, I had him on the show, and he he claims that Bigfoot is not a missing link to our past, but a missing link to our the link to our future. In other words, that's what we're evolving to, and because the beast has a mastery of uh, physics and quantum physics, and, and can go through parallel universes right. and, and and time portals, uh, which is why we can't get a good picture of them. And the the beast is just messing with us. And so I think when when people come out and make those kind of statements and write books about it, I think it it makes serious discussion of uh, this being a uh, a right. physical beast uh, that's out there a little harder to take seriously and then anybody who's a serious scientist is going to turn their back on it and walk away that's right. just for crazy people yeah so so that kind of goes on a subject and this is much more common with ufos that i i don't really like um because it's it happens to both sides so um, when we're talking about a subject, it's important to not just throw it out like, oh, you have some evidence that I can't explain. Here's your explanation for it. And that may be ridiculous, but there may still be some evidence here that's worth looking at. And even though I might not think that it's the result that, that this other person thinks, I shouldn't just completely be negative to this person, throw out the whole thing and you know, dismiss the whole subject. In UFOs, you literally have governments doing misinformation campaigns where, like, you don't have this really in, in Bigfoot where the government, like, you know, somebody from the government is in, like, a Bigfoot suit and, like, does a hoax to, like, convince some people that they're – that pretty much doesn't happen for Bigfoot. Are um, you sure? <laughs> people might do that but the government and like that kind of stuff it doesn't seem to be a big motivational factor for you would think and i agree with you but i'm just saying uh there's some i'm guaranteed we can find somebody who'll say the government yeah, and the law of averages <laughs> right that's how math works but for ufos they have spent pretty extreme amounts of money to have some misinformation campaigns there's a, a film that i like called uh, the mirage men where a government employee specifically confesses to how he he committed this hoax on this one person and then eventually that person ended up killing themselves right. and so like how common is that how you know how many other situations that are similar that didn't go as far are also a, a problem and that's you know they know what they're doing they're they're 
clouding, they're muddying the waters. You know, we're, we here as authentic investigators that really want to know the truth. We have to now not only go through the hoaxers and the people that are just jumping to conclusions. Now there is this legitimate misinformation out there that you have to decipher as like a false event or like hoaxed by somebody else. It's horrible. It's really, really difficult when you the end goal is just to really have the legitimate truth answers. So what's your approach to that? Do you just put the uh, information out there or do you exercise editorial control based on your judgment? Uh, because when you're putting a film together, the, those all those factors that you just talked about are there, mm -hmm. and you have you have to you have like you're not going to have a three hour uh, a ten hour movie. You yeah. have to figure out what what to include in this and what you can say about it, and and be fair as you possibly can. What's your approach? How do you how do you how do you do that? That's the whole thing right there. Right? <laughs> Having integrity as a filmmaker, you kind of go through it, and you're 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 kind of checking the evidence as you're going and of course i would make more money if i make a film that says bigfoot is an interdimensional creature and i have fake <laughs> i don't know if you would make more money i there's a lot of oh, you I, get I do know. <laughs> let me tell you yeah the more wild and more weird you get with it the more it sells so uh, I, I would think the more it gets robbed or pirated but, well, that happens too. Yeah, but, be, because those people who are on the fringes uh, are generally the kind of people who like to hack stuff and like to <laughs> like, like yeah. to pirate stuff. I mean, going back to the early days of DVDs and stuff, they would pirate those stuff. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, I've been in this game a lot and seen a lot of that. And I, I do agree that it's popular. I don't, just don't know about real money, though, because, you know, a lot of these people just try to scam their way around money, sure. too. <laughs> sure. It's, but, it's something that as I got into it as a filmmaker, even me being a fan of it knowing seeing all the things on tv you're like oh there's all these tv shows well obviously they must make some money to feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? oh, it was staggering to me how much it, money these things make if you could get it on the history channel or any or any of those things mm -hmm. that are discovery and yep. they, yeah there's because there's commercial advertising there where it's not necessarily the end user is actually paying for it out of his pocket and those mm -hmm. people will watch that i guarantee there will be tremendous interest i i completely agree with you in that so do you draw conclusions at all in in your films or do you just put the information out there and let the user decide for themselves for the most part i put the information out there of course i have my own agenda to a degree where i somewhat believe in these things so i don't put out just you know flaming stuff that tears it down to make people look you know more dishonest i try to present it in, in as fair and as honest of a place i can while still you know being respectful to the evidence and the possibility that this is real, you know? Have you been on Jimmy Church? I have not. Oh, you got to get on Jimmy Church. He's got a huge audience for this stuff. He's uh, <laughs> he's uh, probably the art bell of today, I guess. I don't know. And I uh, would love to do anybody's show, anybody that wants to talk to me about any of this stuff. We do all kinds of serious documentaries, too, where I've, I've done one on mindfulness, done one on... Well, I want to talk to you about that, too, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's curious to me that you just said serious because these sound like serious. They're just not uh mainstream 
acceptable to everybody, but they are serious, right. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. The, well, the thing I like to point out is like, so let's say Bigfoot is discovered tomorrow. You right. know, I don't know that we're going to have a huge amount of people committing suicide. I don't know uh, that we're going to have huge societal problems from Bigfoot being proven as a real thing. Um, Maybe UFOs, but even UFOs, it seems like society kind of just gets this information. Oh, there's this huge news report about you know UFO debris. Nobody really makes that big of a deal about it. I'm it, thinking. It of, I'm thinking about that because I, I I hear what you're saying, but and to uh, well, I'll, I'll follow up on that thought in a minute. But you know, 500 years ago, maybe uh, they they you know just. Galileo and and those guys and and you know the discoveries that were made did rock the world. They did rock religions, and I think uh, UFOs more than Bigfoot. But I think all of this has a profound effect on people's belief systems and can does have the potential to really rock the world in some way. Um, but to your point, I don't think people care about it as much as they should. And this is what I want to ask you about here: is that uh, two months ago, and I'm sure you're aware of this, the Pentagon came out and said. Um, they have a craft. Uh, they are in possession of a. I want to word this carefully as as they did. They are yeah. in possession of a craft that is not of this earth, is what they said. So yeah, the, that's a very controversial topic. People in the UFO community kind of have dismissed it as um, probably not an authentic situation. But there is uh, debris, and there is stuff that uh, the UFO community does acknowledge as probably. An authentic thing um, that that so like you said the wording on that one is questionable and then that also is a it's a situation where they could be maybe jumping to conclusions and and making it sound um, more than what it actually is right but but going back to the point you had made right before and this is i think this reinforces your point is that uh you were saying that people don't really get shocked by any of this or or it doesn't make a whole big difference to their world you would think the press would go crazy over that like you can't just drop that bombshell and walk right. away you know well, we need more information follow up the press has been like it's yeah, the boy who cried wolf. You know, there's just been too many of these situations where they didn't roll out the UFO for everybody to take pictures of. And once <laughs> we have that, then rest assured, this will be a tremendously huge story. And but I also don't know how much that's going to affect society. Like we were talking about cannabis and cancer. Well, cancer is like a huge part of society killing you know, thousands and thousands of people every year. Depression for our mindfulness, it's, you know, a huge problem. People are taking pills. Like there's these huge, huge societal problems that we have. And uh, even if any of these things became, you know, fully acknowledged as authentic, I just don't see them being societal problems like the ones we currently have. Uh, yeah, John, my friend John just uh, in one of the chat rooms said Pentagon stated they have anomalous debris from UFOs. I don't believe that's what they said, John. I believe that what they said was exactly what I said because uh, I, I was really careful to memorize it when they, they said, said it. it a few times. So they, it, there is, in addition to what you just said, um, a debris case from kind of further in the past. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what, is that referencing Roswell? I don't believe it was Roswell. It was another case from, I think, the 60s. Uh, 
No. Uh, and John, I want to just bring this in because he's making some comments now. Stanton Friedman stated that there's an embarrassment of physical evidence. Yeah, uh, Stanton Friedman is the guy who kind of uh, brought Roswell to a light. Interesting story. Uh, I met Stanton, Stanton Friedman right before he came out with a book about Roswell in 1977 and had a casual conversation with him in a diner in Roswell. Uh, as he was there doing some research, I had no idea who he was, but we, the casual conversation was about UFOs, uh, but I had no idea who I was talking to. And it wasn't until 10 years later uh, when I, I kind of put the two together. Oh, yeah, that's that guy that I was talking to in the diner in Roswell that time. It was yeah. just a, a very funny thing. And those coincidences kind of followed me in a, in a way, too, and I could elaborate on that if we had more time. Uh, talk about mindfulness. What is it? <laughs> okay so sure so uh well, one thing i want to say just finishing up on ufos there are a lot of completely legitimate stories there are a lot of completely legitimate um evidences uh this seems like if we continue down this path of investigation there's more to find and like he said it seems like there's a lot of stuff that uh they already know that they're just slowly releasing and becoming more honest about. So I'm very excited. We live in a wonderful time where this is getting acknowledged and we may see some sort of proof of, you know, what these things are in our lifetime where I never thought that as a kid. Wow. So really exciting times we live in. Mindfulness. So um, mindfulness is basically kind of recognizing your thoughts thinking about why you have those thoughts, where they come from, and kind of controlling the direction of your thoughts. So it seems like a woo-woo, pseudoscience-y type of thing. But in my film, doing uh, the investigation on it, there's completely legitimate Johns Hopkins, met, really mainstream science that is proving that there is medical benefit from these practices. And it, it kind of all comes from Buddhism and other similar types of things with meditation. And uh, you don't necessarily have to be good at meditating or even really do the meditations always. I've noticed benefits in my life just from like recognizing negative thoughts, like when I'm going down a, a pattern of, of bad thinking and being able to change that pattern by thinking about things that I'm grateful for, for example, or people that I, I wish uh, kindness or good things for. And it's really odd. I, I also was big in martial arts. I've learned like this whole process of like working out and how, you know, certain things work for this kind of gains and certain things work for this kind of gains. And, and this is just working out for your brain. This is a way of kind of exercising your mind in a way that most people just don't do. Right. And it's good for everyone, even kids, I would say. So uh, I, I would say this, that I am very big on the mystery of the mind. I've always been curious about the name of the show is Mind Dog TV. Mind Dog is your mind best friend. Um, and I've, I'm hip to meditation. My problem with this is there's a whole lot of mindfulness coaches out there and mindfulness experts uh, who really don't talk a very good game. And I, and I know that that sounds um, 
you know, like a very small thing. But it's not when I when I interview somebody and ask them to explain mindfulness, and it comes down to this: uh, being aware and uh, in the moment. And because uh, I address, I always bring up my own problem because I'm I'm very uh, self centered, very self centered, and and uh, selfish, and use this program only for me. it's all about me. And so I always bring back bring up my own problems with my temper when I was young, and they talk about counting the ten or being aware in the moment just to ask yourself the question and i'm like if if that's the best you got uh you don't think i've tried counting to 10 over the years what, what right, the right. deal is this being in control of your mind and in the moment some things impulses animal impulses temper right. frustration things like that are not uh, they they happen before in a in a nanosecond where you can't grasp to, to say wait a minute take a deep breath get my thoughts you don't have that time it, it's a instant switch like that and so when I talk to people about it every it, we keep coming back to that question and they keep telling me the same well you got to take a breath just know be aware of of your me, if I was aware of it, I I have the intelligence to say I'm you're about to be a fucking idiot don't do that. <laughs> but I'm not aware of it, and there's no way I can force that awareness in that moment. What do you say to that? <laughs> so a lot of it is just practice, you know. Like, so you think about other working out, right? You know, maybe you couldn't do a push up at first, but if you got down and tried doing a push up every day, maybe you got to do one, and then eventually you get to do two and a ten, and you know, so on and so forth, and you become better at doing these push ups. Maybe there are other exercises that are similar to that that you couldn't do. And maybe there was like something physical that you were trying to do to get stronger and that eventually you had to get stronger to be able to do that thing. And it's always a work in progress too, you know, like for, for martial artists, you know, you can learn how to throw a punch. You can learn how to throw the perfect punch. You can maybe be the best person in the whole world at throwing a punch, the most power, whatever it is, but you're not always going to knock that guy out. You're not always going to have success with that thing that you're trying to do. And so even the mindfulness professionals, like in my film, we had people from UCLA that are part of this huge program that they're now doing where they can get accredited and it's becoming a more official thing. And um, they still have problems. You know, they still yeah. have moments where they have these things happen. We're all humans. And so there's a lot of stuff that we're just victims of by being a human. And kind of the more you become educated about those things, the more you become like kind of forgiving yourself for those things. Maybe you, you, you have like something that you do that really don't like and you feel like you're blaming yourself for that. Well, the more you can kind of not blame yourself and realize this is a common problem and that there are ways of dealing with this and I could be better at it. Some of it is just noticing physical stuff. Like when you get angry, you're like, oh, my heart starting to get more. I'm starting to like, you know, certain little things. And when you start to become kind of more aware of those physical things too, then you might be able to say, oh, this, this is the path when I start to get angry. Yeah. And, well, for me, it, it happened with AIDS, I think what, and, and decreased in a uh, natural decrease in testosterone that comes with AIDS. Uh, I think that cured all, a lot of that. And so today that's very possible, but I keep going back to when I was young, uh, there was no, there was no time to, to be conscious. There was no yeah. time, you know, it was, it was a, it was almost, a, you know, like a natural physical, it was a mindless yeah, in that, 
mindless reaction. It was not thinking. Of course, if it, if it was thinking, we wouldn't be doing those things. Sure. Uh, and so the uh, the uh, the thing is, you have to be lucky enough not to get yourself killed when you're young, and gr- and have enough and have enough time, and don't alienate everybody in your life by being a fucking idiot. And yeah. if, if you get old enough. You'll be able to deal with it. That sort. It does get easier as you get older, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. maturity, experience, like that kind of practice. You've had situations, you've gotten kind of more familiar with how those things go, all that kind of stuff. And and uh, kind of like you said, you, you 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 as a child or as a younger person, some people are going to be better at this than others. Some people just have this natural ability. Some people do not have this natural ability, and you, you kind of just roll with the punches as you're growing up and, and as you're learning to do this, you, even medicine isn't always a hundred percent effective. You know, you, you kind of learn how to maximize your chances of dealing with this the best way you can and just try to do that as often as you can. You might yeah. have a 60% effectivity rate where like sometimes you get really angry and then afterwards you're like, ah, I got angry, kind of reassess that later. And sometimes you might be able to stop it before it gets uh, down that road. And, and a lot of times it's not anger. A lot of times it's like, oh, this yeah. person said something that offends me. Oh, Why? It's, it's, I learned uh, pretty uh, through therapy <laughs> that it's almost always related to fear. It's it's a um, you know it's a flight or uh, a fight or flight type of thing. And so uh, if you you're not good at flight, your natural reaction is to get aggressive and you know be a gorilla and try to scare off the enemy that way. No matter it could be an emotional fear mm-hmm. uh, and whatever it is, but it, it's always a reaction to you know. Bur- outbursts of temper tantrums and things like that and what, right it's al- almost always a reaction to something you're f- afraid of you're <laughs> you're trying to battle that fear so but my and uh, you talk about you were uh, in the documentary in the documentary man what's wrong with the lips um <laughs> that you're talking to professionals in this is there like a an accredited is this an accredited so, science yeah. field that, that actually thank you so this brings me to another thing and this is really a problem with buddhism that you see and it's kind of common knowledge is that we have these gurus who are kind of worshipped almost like a cult leader and some yeah. people will get like very devoted to these people a lot of times there's sexual stuff going on with these gurus where they can sleep with your wife or, you know, like there's all these weird things and there's, there's so much um, dishonesty. There's so much um, malicious intent with so much of that. And that's part of why there are now places like UCLA that have an accredited mindfulness program so that these are people that are going through a, a course, um, maybe a series of courses that, educate them about the subject, they kind of qualify them on their um, likelihood of being, uh, you know, having integrity with presenting this information to people and presenting it in a professional, responsible way where you're not taking advantage of people or misleading them. Or like one of the people in our thing talks about that it shouldn't even be forced upon you. Like your employer shouldn't make you have to do this. It should be entirely voluntary and situations where he's had that and, and uh, that it didn't go well for, for those people. And uh, I, I agree with a lot of that stuff, you know, in, in this, in this hype world that we live in, 
certain things become popular. CBD is another one. And, you know, you hope that everyone is being honest about their business practices. But when there is no regulation on a thing, there's going to be people that are taking advantage of that situation. Right. And so mindfulness is just like that, you know, up until now. And, and it's still a problem. People will be like, I'm a life coach. And, you know, maybe they help <laughs> with something. And now they're just trying to start a business. And a lot of it is money. And, and then once you're in the business and you're like, got to get more clients, you know, it's hard. And, and yeah. you hope people have integrity and be honest about it and not just do it for their own personal reasons. Well, you mentioned all of the dishonesty and, and some of the negative stuff. And yes, there is that. But there is also innocent self-delusion. I think we live in a, in, a, in a time and a culture where people read a book and all of a sudden think they're an expert on it. And so a, a young girl might, go, and I'm saying this because I, these are, I've had several mindful mindfulness coaches on the program who basically gave themselves that title after learning to meditate and being involved in it for like six months, having some sure. experience in it. And now they're coming on podcasts to teach the world about it. And so I'm a big fan of accreditation and academia and all that stuff. To, not that it always is necessarily a, uh, a proof that something is valid, but it gives a lot more credibility to it when right. you have institutions of higher learning, getting behind it, doing serious scientific method study on it uh, rather than just, but again, like life coach, mindfulness coach, anybody can, you don't even need a, any you can go print one up i guess at staples have yeah. a, a mindfulness coach degree and hang on your wall and, cl and call yourself a uh, hang out a shingle and call yourself a professional yep. but i don't think it's always dishonesty i think that it's self-deluding well maybe not being honest with yourself but right. it's, again it's this culture of uh, so i just read it on a podcast now i'm an e expert on it and so you know people are going to walk away mm -hmm. uh, uh, expert in ufos and bigfoot from this conversation i don't think so yeah yeah exactly so you may, you may have some <laughs> my personal experience that gives you some confidence that you're able to do this maybe some of your friends are like you're good at this thing you should do that and you know you have like this this moment where you have you may have the best intentions that you want to help people and that you are supposedly good at helping people but then there's also a moment where you might be dealing with someone that has a serious medical condition and are you qualified to be helping this person? And could you maybe be hurting this person with some of the things that you're gonna do or suggest? And that's where the responsibility factor comes in. And, you know, I'm a filmmaker, right? You know, me making films and, and all this stuff is fine and good, but I'm not dealing with somebody that could go and commit suicide tomorrow, you know? Like, it really changes the, the thing that you're in and speaking on certain subjects when you don't really have the proper knowledge and proper accredit, uh, you know, just, just the proper education. It doesn't right. necessarily have to be accredited course on mindfulness, but like if you took other courses and you have medical knowledge that is valuable, you know, that might be enough to, you know, have an, enough responsibility to talk to some of these people and, and not be hurting them. Yeah, to use a martial arts analogy, it's as if a lot of people, it's like they read a book on uh, martial arts and now want to open up their own dojo. Oh, it's like <laughs> watch the UFC and now I know how to fight. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> uh, it just doesn't happen. You got to put into practice the time and the years and and the uh, and and all the work that goes along with it. And I sure. think that that's a big part of it. So, uh, um, how many films in all have you done? I think we're at twelve or thirteen. Wow, wow, that's that's a lot of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I want to talk a little bit. I know we're kind of running up on time, yeah. and if you could stay a little longer, that would be cool. No but. Um, process in in documentary making uh for you do you do you do a lot of planning out is it uh basically um what are we what am i trying to say and then like do it in interview style is it narrative style How, what, yes talk to me about so it, it depends on my knowledge of a subject too but um so like for bigfoot i wrote out an elaborate outline of what i wanted to cover kind of the order that i wanted to cover it in and then I did my research based on that outline, you know? And then as you do your interviews, you're, ho- you're gonna ask questions and you're hoping that your interviewees are gonna tell you a story in a way that it, it can all connect together and make this film kind of flow in a way so that people watching it, you know, they, they follow along with the whole journey. Right. Is it difficult to get uh, cooperation? Oh yeah, for sure. So that's one of the things that I feel like I'm actually pretty good at as a director is uh, I can talk to people in a way and ask them questions, maybe even re-ask certain questions in different ways so that I can get the response that I'm looking for. Right. Uh, and do you, do you go at it with um, a point of view that you want to deliver or do you try to, is your aim to say non-biased on any, you know, are you trying to say, right. or show that their UFOs are out there or are you just trying to right, right. put them I'm, I'm a truth seeker. So when I'm presenting this information, part of it is my gen, my genuine curiosity. And I don't just accept things to be true. I need pretty definitive uh, evidence. I've been fooled before. You know, once you've been fooled, you realize, oh, you know, this is very important that I don't get fooled again. So the process for checking evidence has to be more strict. And then what evidence, like mindfulness, like what, what made me think that, you know, is it my own belief? Is it something that I saw on one show, some one person's opinion, you have to go through this evidence checking pretty elaborately. So when I'm doing the interview, I'm asking questions and Sometimes those are questions that are legit questions that I have and I want to know the answer. Sometimes it's something that I already know the answer and I want you to say it. Um, you know, there's, there's certain things like that. But for the most part, I, I try to have a lot of integrity as a filmmaker and making money on my films is not my priority, although it is a necessity. I am an artist in that sense. And I want to, uh, a, I, I watch all these other shows. I, I want to know the truth. I want to present it out there for other people that are like me, that genuinely want to know the truth. If you watch our Bigfoot movie, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty fair. You know, you watch right. our UFO stuff. You, we're not like only showing one side or like really trying to steer it down an unfair direction, leaving out evidence that would totally disprove certain things. No, I want to know. We're about to do an EVP documentary, and I don't really believe in EVP. So no. not, I mean, not somebody I, in the audience who does <laughs> stuff that makes me curious and I'm open-minded, right? So 
I've seen some near-death experience stuff that makes me really curious about like how consciousness works and could it work outside the body and how does it work outside the body. I've seen some reincarnation stories that are like to me, it, uh, it's proof that this phenomenon is happening. Now, really? what's happening, like the spirit of some former person is in this person. I don't know that that's the case. But there are definitely cases where people are like infant, child, able to recount details from former lives that they should definitely not be able to recount. So there's something happening there. I don't know what that is. Now, that's, this that, stuff could uh, be similar. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, um, I would just say this. I've, I've kind of looked at that reincarnation stuff pretty closely. Um, it's hard to be 100% positive that somebody can't have that information uh on a specific life that they're trying to recall uh have it tucked away in their subconscious and they've learned about it at some point in their life that's a hard thing to prove you can't can't prove somebody doesn't know something for me it's all the kids it's these ones that i've seen where i'm watching video of like a child like very young and they're recounting things and you're like and and then watching them the I just watched this documentary called Surviving Death, and it's about a book. And uh, there's video at the end about this reincarnation. They're showing them pictures, and they're like five for five, no errors. They're children, you know. This isn't something where this child has been coached. You right. Know? Yeah. Like, this is an authentic situation, and something is happening here. What is happening? I don't. I don't know. There could be a way that we communicate. This might not be that they're you know, identifying with the authentic spirit of a former living person. This may be just some sort of way, like a telepathy type of way of coming into information that, you know, we don't fully understand, but something's happening. Right. And so that's where I'm going with this EVP. You know, I'm going in, I don't believe that these people are recording the voices of spirits that are still, you know, here on earth, but I'm open-minded to know enough that Something is happening here. This isn't just fraud. So, uh, well, hopefully the ones that I'm like, there's probably a lot of fraud, but hopefully some of the ones that I'm working on are not fraud, that these are authentic cases where they're genuinely trying to find the real truth. They've recorded something that they can't explain. And I want to know, I want to know if consciousness can exist outside the body. And are these spirits? Like, it's a very easy answer when there's, oh yeah, there's just spirits all around and we're like tapping into this, but could it be something else? That's the hard question. Right. Um, I, I think we all do want to know that. And the guy who was in the audience before, uh, I'm not sure if he's still there, John Russell, who is a psychic who, um, is, involved in these kind of uh, investigations. And I've had lots of ghost hunters on this show. And I've had a guy, uh, a friend of mine, Joey Gaynor, who is a comedian who did a lot of time at the comedy store in L.A. And there is supposedly a ghost in the basement of a guy. And Joey has a... Uh, yeah, yeah. And Joey has a uh, video on YouTube of him talking to this ghost now, I have hearing problems because I've been a musician for so long, a loud rock musician, and got severe tinnitus. I couldn't hear it. But there's a group, in the peop- a group of people in the room, in the basement, at the comedy store, and Joey's asking the, the spirit questions, and he's answering back. And they can all hear it 
I can't hear it, but I'm seeing the captions on the on the thing, right. and they're all all agreeing. Everybody in the room is agreeing. That's what's been saying. So I wanted to do a my own kind of research into this, and jo I wanted to include John and Joey Gaynor, who who was the guy who did the original one, and I also have some other ghost hunters. But it would be interesting if you wanted to take uh, part of that and just get a look at it sure. and, and see. I'm always interested. We're putting out maybe like ten movies a year, so. I want wow. projects That's all the time. I want more stuff. So, right. are you Gonzo style? Are you? Yeah, I mean, when you say director, are you also the cameraman and just oh, like? Oh so, yeah, the way that our films work is I'm basically myself and my partner, the one that has the 25 years experience, worked for Fox, etc. Yeah. So uh, when I do, originally we lived in the same city and we would do these things together. But he moved to Georgia like um, a little more than a year or so ago. Wow. And uh, now. I do all the film shoots myself. So I set up the camera. I do the interview myself. I uh, do the sound myself. I do the lighting myself. I do all of that. The whole shoot, everything I do myself. I write all the questions. I find the interviewees. It's all me for the most part, almost like 95% of the time. <laughs> and then uh, he does all the post. So he does distribution. He works with all the um, final uh, editing. He does all the graphics. He does the sound, the music and all that. Like, so he works with all those people and he does all the post-production. So does he, have, does he have the same level of interest that you do in the uh, weird stuff? No, he doesn't believe in any of it, basically. So <laughs> That's good. That's good. I mean, I guess that, that's a check and balance on. on yeah, the, we have these conversations. We're both very honest and like, you know, trying to not offend each other and trying to have these serious conversations about these kind of weird things so right. yeah we're right we're right there with the the target audience i think you know but earlier when we were talking now well i brought up ron moorhead and you brought up and i think you made a good point that you can't just dismiss uh things that you just think are just wait are too far out there mm -hmm. but uh and this is my test for a lot of people who bring stuff up and because uh, I always say, is there anything you won't believe, anything you'll dismiss outright? And most people will say no. Most people who enter this type of thinking. And so when I say the Easter Bunny, nine at a time, ten times people will say possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, so, would you dismiss the Easter Bunny? So, please, please. Uh, <laughs> Easter Bunny is obviously not real, but there may be like some real origins from where that story comes from that are interesting. Okay, I can. So, and I, I like that with Christmas too. There's a we're doing a psychedelics documentary, and um, there's a really great Christmas story that involves uh, a psychedelic mushroom called the Amanita muscaria. Right. And you know, at first you hear it, and you're like, "This is ridiculous." But then, the, if you start looking at it and you see like some of the actual stuff, like the outfits that the shaman wear up there are exactly like Santa Claus's outfit. So right. like, there's there's certain little things that you can kind of tack on to if i were yeah. to there's anything that i don't believe in though religion <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i get it but uh yeah it's hard to see the six foot bunny any anywhere coming closer but i i agree with all the, the christmas law there's lots of that stuff but uh you just said something fascinating about the you're doing the thing on psychedelics are you familiar uh with the tale about or the idea that uh the burning bush that moses supposedly saw was yes. uh, was full of dmt yes i'm <laughs> familiar with that and those yeah. when you hear those stories you're like oh of course 
yeah. that might actually be a real story now. Originally, you're like, oh, this is obviously entirely made up, right? Right. And then you hear something like that, and you're like, oh, maybe that actually did happen, and that there's just you know misunderstanding of what happened. Uh, Have you had any experience with DMTs? Oh yeah, you Mm -hmm. have lots of psychedelics. We could do a whole show on that. (laughs) I've had lots of psychedelics, but never DMT. I mean, my experience was in in the seventies. You know, as a a teenager, uh, selling LSD and mescaline, Mm -hmm. and 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 then I had later experience with actual you know raw mushrooms, getting the mushrooms myself and harvesting. But you know, it's been a long time. Uh, I think nineteen eighty six was the last time I did anything. other than pot pot, so i I see you're interested in consciousness right so once you've um once you've experienced some pretty profound things from dmt and there's another one called salvia divornium you can go buy salvia at any head shop anywhere so you know i'll I'll ask we don't have head shops around here anywhere (laughs) you can buy it on the internet ship it to your house salvia divornium is not illegal i want to try dmt though i want to try it so bad because uh it it sounds like from what's been described it sounds like a really very very great experience but also the fact that it's only 15 minutes and over as opposed to like lsd where it's five 15 hours and you're praying for it to end. (laughs) But I will also say like, so you can have positive and negative experiences on, on both those things, salvia and on DMT and, and DMT tends to be happy experiences and salvia tends to be negative experiences. But the, the experience of doing those drugs is extremely similar. And you can have hallucinations that you would not believe are possible. And so through that, um, I've had some hallucinations that made me feel more connected to the world and that there could be consciousness and a greater understanding of this. I've also had experiences that um, made me feel like none of those things are possible. And that through uh, recognizing what happened to me and being honest about it, it's more likely that all of these interpretations are just delusional. And that they're all more, what, what's more likely that there's multiple phenomenons happening here that sometimes people are like communicating with their dead relatives or, or communicating with like Jesus or God or whoever, you know, or is it more likely that these are just hallucinations and that our brain and our mind and consciousness is far more uh, complicated and we don't understand it. And the way that it works is far more comprehensive than we give it credit for right now. And I think that personally, I think that's more likely. I and think both those things can be simultaneously true. It's interesting. And I'm open-minded to that. And uh, I, I'd love to learn more about it. And through these, some of these things where like the, the, um, the reincarnation things and like the near-death experience things, there's some interesting stuff there. But I also see people that, that haven't had a really elaborate psychedelic experiences that don't have this knowledge they they don't really recognize how similar those experiences are and right. you know I, I find it really uh fascinating that so many people have not had any experience with any psychedelics at, at all and have no idea i mean they they hear it described but a description can it never does the real experience any mm-hmm. uh, justice at all because yeah. uh but uh, to your point about whether it is something i remember a um uh, 
a concert, the Santana concert. I think it was probably 1981, uh, doing LSD and my, the, the girl singer in my band was was with me. She was doing LSD. A bunch of us were there, but we had a conversation without saying a word. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, te- telepathy was def, and we both agreed on it. Like, uh, and it got to the point where at at the end of the concert, uh, I clearly heard her say, "Put me on your shoulders and get me up the, up at the front." And I did that, and we both agreed that. But nobody said a word. There was not a word said. So I think there is something more than just imagination or, or hallucinations with it. Because if if we can share that between two bodies, two brains, yeah. uh, it, it I've would had indicate more. Where me and my friend both hallucinated the same thing, yeah. and so like we have separate brains, right? right? What happened right. there? Some sort of connection happening. But then. Uh, you know, also what didn't happen? Well, it wasn't like our spirits joined together and we had like this same moment. (laughs) That's probably not what happened. It's probably something other than that. And I'll I'll say it's really, really, really common on acid to think that this person that you're looking at or talk, you know, is thinking the same thing as you (laughs) and then talking and realize, Oh no, this is not, we're not on the same page at all. Like he's on this whole other thing and I'm over here on this other thing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 i get it um so where where does your uh curiosity extend to are you uh, uh curious about the physics stuff or uh, you know parallel universes and and, sure. and 99 dimensions or more string theory m theory all that stuff so so all of that stuff's super interesting to me i love the large hedron collider i love all the new information that we're learning from the large hedron collider and um I love the concept that we're starting to see black holes behaving the way that Einstein predicted that they were going to behave and that, you know, science is kind of progressing in this way that we thought that it was going to progress. I love that. When it's a left turn, it screws it up and back at the beginning. So all that stuff I love. I, um, I think that it's extremely likely that black holes uh, take energy from this universe and, transfer it to somewhere else where i don't know could it be another dimension sure i, I mean i'm open to all this stuff any and, interest in doing a film on any of that stuff yeah i love it i i, I want to do a film on all of these concepts and yeah. like for me personally my main passion like in life with my interest is this concept of consciousness and what yeah. happens when we die and it's so, a big mystery man it's the it is the mystery isn't it and, it is. and so uh and uh, I, I appreciate you hanging up with me a little longer because i think you're a fascinating guy and I, I i love i love what you're doing i actually wish i was young enough to be doing it with you um Simulation theory, because you you talked about religion and your your um, doubt in, in, for for religion. Simulation theory kind of combines science and religion, and the, they put this uh, whoever their vision of God is is a geek in his mother's basement with a laptop. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, what do you make of it? Equally as possible as you know any sort of religious story. You know this this is a theory, and you know. There's a lot of evidence that goes along with their theory, right? We're not, oh, like certain little glitches that we can't explain. They all kind of fall along when you start talking about a simulation theory. But like the the concept that we don't have free will is is it's very difficult to accept because me sitting here, I know like I picked up my water bottle right now and I thought 
pick up the water bottle and I picked it up. Right. To think that that was planned out in some sort of a way. Or, or that some guy just punched in a, a bunch of ones and zeros and said, <laughs> make Jeremy grab the water, think yeah. he wants that water bottle. To me, that's still ridiculous, right? <laughs> I think that it is a theory that I'm open-minded to talking about and, and accepting, but I do not think that it is what's right. really happening. I get it. Um, so as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, I didn't couldn't find a whole lot uh, <laughs> to get research on you. Do you have a website? Do you, where do you want people? Because I have me, I have the Facebook uh, in, in the link, but what's the best way to? So uh, when people are looking for my films, the best way to find them is to just type my name, Jeremy Nori, into he, Amazon, into Google, into wherever it is. Yeah. And you get a list. You might even just get my IMDb page. I got your IMDb DB page. That's so good I, too. And so well, I want to put the links in the description. So should I put, just link the IMDb page in the description? In addition to that, I have a Facebook uh, profile called Sky Island Storytelling. Okay, I'll look. And I have that also on Instagram, and then it on Twitter it's Sky Island Stories, and I can right. do that. Yeah. Uh, if you would, if you could, uh, if, email me those and I will, uh, just so I don't forget, and I'll put them in the sure. description before, because all the stuff will be published tomorrow. And yeah. so, uh, and then people can just go to the description and don't have to mess around with search engines and all that stuff and just yeah, go right there. Link too, and I'll repost it on all those things. Okay. Cool. Jeremy, it's been great uh, to get to know you. I'm, I'm fascinated by what you do. Like I said, I, I wish I I wish I had the vitality and youth to join you in your quest because it sounds like a, a blast. It sounds like something uh, I would It's easier than you think. Much. If you ever got a project that you think uh, would make a good well, movie. I've been working on a documentary for six years, and that, but uh, uh, it's, a, it's a personal documentary about me and, and – uh, in my band and then uh, what I what I've gone through not just it's not really about me in the band it's about the idea of living your life's purpose and doing what you want to do sure. but told through the story of, of what I do and, and what people think I do well, <laughs> you know we we make documentaries so yeah. <laughs> yeah uh well it's been great to know you uh, great to get to know you and uh, I would like to stay in touch and have you back back sometime anytime great well thanks for coming and have a great day and bye for now thank you Jeremy Nori, folks, uh, I will put the links in the description. A lot of stuff there, you know, from <laughs> from cannabis to uh, simulation theory and everything, literally everything in between. Uh, and just the idea of making films about it. And 10 films a year? Oh, my God. Uh, good for him. A great, great life to have and a great, great story there. I hope you'll check out his work. And I know I will be checking out his work. Uh, so, um Interesting program. Thanks for coming today. Tonight, who do we have, folks? Uh, oh, yeah, we got Matthew Ebel. <laughs> this is a, a singer, songwriter, musician, I guess. Uh, a guy is a half bird. <laughs> I'm not kidding, folks. Avian Invasion. Matthew Abel, uh, also known as Avian Invasion. If you look at the picture in the promo, uh, he's half man, half bird. Um <laughs> Now, I should have asked Jeremy where his belief system and uh, with the half man, half bird stuff. But that will be our program tonight at 8 p.m. Join me. It should be a, a fascinating, if not kind of strange, conversation about music and half man, half bird stuff. Uh, so until then, I'll have over the Mind Dog TV podcast. Thanks for joining me. Have a great day. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.